1: This is Joseph Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. Let me go get a glass of water. I'm back. Yeah, so, uh, this is Failed State Update, the podcast presenting stories and reporting from the end of the world. Which, you know, anybody who's telling stories or doing reporting, it seems like, is reporting from the end of the world at this point. Back after a bit of a hiatus, I wasn't sure what to do with the podcast and uh, took a little break from it. And now I am back. I won't be doing this every week because my main focus, aside from a book that's coming out and another book that I'm writing, which I'll tell you about in a minute, is this newsletter of mine, also called Failed State Update. So, the podcast is taking a little bit of a backdoor. It's more of an outlet for interviews and reporting that don't quite fit the newsletter format. But I seriously, seriously urge you to sign up for the newsletter, especially while it's free. It's not always going to be totally free, but it's totally free right now. And it will be for a little while. So jump in on the ground floor by going to lennyflatley.substack.com. That's lennyflatley.substack.com. And like I mentioned earlier, I do have a book coming out on August 24th, so less than two weeks away, about almost one week away, I guess. It's called New Age Grifter, The True Story of Gabriel of Urantia and His Cosmic Family. And if anybody has been paying attention to this space or to my other podcast, the so-called Prophet from Pittsburgh, they've been aware that I've been doing this book for a while now. I'll read here from the back cover text because I'm sick of explaining myself. Gabriel of Urantia is the leader of a commune in the desert of southern Arizona. He has spent the last decades weaving together a belief system, a tapestry of Eastern spirituality, born-again Christianity, and New Age platitudes. His disciples tend the garden, take classes, run his businesses, and serve their leader as they wait for the end of the world. Journalist Joseph L. Flatley, that's me, has investigated Gabriel's group for the past five years. He uses legal documents, press accounts, academic research, and untold hours of exclusive interviews to get to the corrupted core of this experimental society. If anything, it's a cautionary tale for for everybody, really. I mean... We're kind of at the end of this weird, long social experiment that is called the United States, and traditional religion was a large part of that, and now people are, you know, groups are splintering off. Church attendance is at an all-time low, and people are trying to kind of figure out what works best for them, and one way to do that is to follow a guru, get sucked into a cult... And I think this book kind of portrays the dark side of that path. And uh, the other option would be DIY, uh, doing it for yourself, a spiritual path that is not necessarily attached to any of the mainstream religions. And that's why I'm excited to bring you Stephen Intermill, the uh, director at the Buckland Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Cleveland. It's a really cool spot I visited last year And I will definitely visit again soon It's a museum that's kind of based around The collection of a pioneering occultist Or pioneering witchcraft practitioner Wicca practitioner named Raymond Buckland And Raymond has passed on to his next, the next level But, but his collection stands and has been bulked up and added to and exists for everybody to see and learn from in Cleveland, Ohio I spoke to Steven last year when um, the podcast was going strong and never ran the interview because the podcast stopped (laughs) took a hiatus but we're back now and here is my conversation with Steven Intermel of the Buckland Museum of Witchcraft and Magic
0: Our founder, Raymond Buckland is very, um, you know, very famous for bringing the religion of Wicca to America. He had come to the U S in the early sixties from London with his family. He settled in Long Island and he was working there as a copywriter. Uh, but he found it spiritually lacking and he started seeking and, uh, the religion of Wicca, which he discovered really resonated with him. Wicca founded by a gentleman named uh, Gerald Gardner. Um, Ray and Gardner start correspondence, and uh, Ray gets an initiation, and he forms the first American Wiccan coven in the U.S.
1: Would this be like the 50s, the 60s? This is in the 60s, Okay,
0: yeah. So it's in the 60s,
1: when you look at Ray and you
0: look at his history, you see that he um parallels to Gerald Gardner in the idea that Gardner wrote about witchcraft. Well, Ray starts writing about witchcraft. Gardner, he owns a museum. It was on the Isle of Man. Well, Ray forms his own little museum. And that is uh the beginning of what we have here. At first it was in his basement just a few shelves and moved out of the basement and uh, eventually got put into storage and then it's kind of come back to life here in Cleveland.
1: Well, so, so, so did he have like an actual museum or was it just a collect, like a private collection or?
0: Well, first it was kind of a private collection, but then he moved it out of his basement. I, uh, I always tell, tell a story in my, uh, intro But, uh, you know, Ray's got his little museum in his basement. He gets outed by the local media and something happens. Now, on the day we opened, we had, like, 300 guests that day. We had a line down the street. I was like, hey, Ray, did you have this reaction when you opened your place in Long Island? He looks at me and says, many people enjoyed it, Stephen, but shortly after, someone set my car on fire. (laughs) And, you know, I always laugh because, I don't know, I... I don't want to invite anyone to set my car on fire. Now at first I probably would have been like, yeah, I'm just going to go get my old gig back. But, uh, I think I actually know I'd keep it going now, but, uh, Ray had no hesitations with that. He expanded the collection. He moved it out of his house. So people could come in off the street, ask questions, you know, and we're really proud to be able to continue that tradition here. Cause people get freaked out by this stuff. And, uh, you know, anything that takes takes any kind of depth, any kind of thought these days seems to terrorize people. And, uh, you know, we're really happy to kind of have a way to show what this is and what it isn't.
1: Right. and And, you know, like one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because, you know, we're in a weird time in america in the world weird's not always bad in fact i think weird's usually good and um what you're doing is kind of kind of weird <laughs> you know promoting you know something that was it's pretty heterodox probably would be much more frowned upon even like 20 years ago do you have a sense of like a mission and where does that come from i uh, you know yeah our mission is kind of show
0: like I said what this is and what it isn't. I didn't quite get this at first. My partner in the museum, Tony, she um she was a member of Ray's Coven. And you know, I didn't quite get this. I thought it was just a really fun way to share like an exciting story. But eventually now I really grok what she's always getting at. And this is an idea of a teaching tool of teaching people what uh, non-traditional what um, alternative religions are all about it's not about sacrificing children it's not about this it's not about that it's a celebration of light and love and uh, now I really I really get this every day more and more really um, dawns on me the importance of our work here
1: yeah and and so how does that kind of play out as, uh, like, you know, what's a day like in the life of the uh, Buckland Witchcraft Museum?
0: (laughs) You know, you never know. Um, With the pandemic began, I've started uh, a lot more locals to become guests, and I think that's just because people are kind of cooped up and they're like, what are we going to do? you know like there we can't go to Hawaii so they're like ah things to do in Cleveland and then I come in and they're like I never heard of you before and I'm like well when's the last time you googled things to do in Cleveland right right probably a long time ago the pandemic's kind of brought this out so but you know any day here is always different I would say that 99.9% of the time people that wander in here, they're the coolest people that are coming through Cleveland or the coolest people that live in Cleveland. Cause you can't walk into a place, um, you know, like this without an open mind, occasionally very rarely we'll have somebody in. Maybe they feel like they need to inspect us, making, make sure that, uh, you know, whatever, creepy stuffs in their dark fantasies isn't being played out here and it never really is. You get some bad jokes and you get some really wonderful explorations of uh you know what witchcraft is and isn't. Um so yeah, uh I get a lot of moms coming in with the kids that are interested in this stuff and they're just like, yeah, You know, they told me that they were interested in this stuff, and I Googled around, found you, and thought this would be a wonderful place for us to learn. But then I also get, you know, people are just like, I love witchcraft and everything about it, you know, and they come in as a looky-loo. And, uh, you know, some people are disappointed it's not like a sideshow. But here we have uh, what I call genuine artifacts of the occult.
1: What year did you get the collection the original collection from Raymond Buckland and like, what did it consist of?
0: All right. So, um, this was Tony, I believe Tony acquired it in 2015. So this collection spent some time in new Orleans and, uh, there was, it took some pretty intense turns there, but it was saved by a woman named velvet Reese. She was a friend of Ray's. She had the collection. And, uh, then it was kind of like, yeah, I don't really want to be doing this any longer. So my partner in the museum, Tony, she drove down to uh, New Orleans, brought it back up to Cleveland and stuck it in a rental property that she owned and she cataloged it. It was in some pieces there. Um, meanwhile, I was working for another, uh, local holiday tourism destination, um, Let's put it this way, if you enjoy the shine of the leg lamp, um, well, that's where I used to work was the place where they filmed the movie that that's all about. And just one day I was kind of like, yeah, there's more to life than this. I was kind of bored. I uh, Googled Ray, whatever happened to your witchcraft collection. I found his uh, email, contacted him. He put me in touch with Tony. And pretty quickly, we realized that we were uh, going to become fast friends. And uh, so we opened Beltane of 2017. We were in a little record shop in my, just a room in my friend's record shop, uh, Separate Reality Records. Uh, really, we we're really doing it by the seat of our pants, but just the idea of having a place for um, us to work on a catalog. People kept showing up. Um, We doubled in size pretty quickly after that. Somebody wound up buying the building that the record shop was in, kicked out our friends and said, well, you guys could stay. And I mean, you know, it doesn't really work that way. (laughs) You know, Um, yeah, you're kicking out our friends. Well, we'll find some place else as well. And uh, we found a storefront in the old Brooklyn neighborhood that was the right size at the time. We were always looking for new room, uh, more room, more ways to expand. But we found a place, it was perfect, and uh, here we are. So that was, uh, we reopened here. Uh, I guess that would have been around April of 2019.
1: And then what was in the original collection? What... Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff, stuff that we still have with the original
0: um, Long Island Coven that he and uh, his wife Rosemary had formed. So, really, what I consider a key piece here is the crescent moon headdress, the circlet that was worn by Lady Rowan, first Wiccan high priestess in the United States. To me, this is the spirit of the collection, right? Everything radiates from there. There's a very famous horned helmet that Ray teaches you how to make in his book, The Complete Book of Witchcraft. We have that on display. Uh, It's got some horns to it. So I got to say that the events on January 6th were a bit cringy to me. (laughs) Uh, You know, because it was like, oh, boy. Um, great. Thanks a lot, <laughs> you know, but, uh, we do have that. And that's like, to me, I always call this, or, uh, I always call this my most teachable piece here in the collection because Bray assembled it essentially with some household objects. And it's my way to kind of express the guess here that, uh, you know, store-bought items are great in a pinch, but the real power and any yeah. of the stuff that you do is, you know, the hand, uh, the handmade, the craft and witchcraft elements of all of this. The real power is coming from within you, not something that you bought with one click shopping. So we have pieces like that. We have some pieces of Planket, Gerald Gardner, the founder of Modern Wicca. We have some pieces that came from Israel Regarde, the great student of Aleister Crowley, who actually had traded Ray some stuff, or Ray actually purchased some things from him in the early 70s that belonged to the great beast himself. Let's see. We have um, some things that belong to Sybil Leak, the famous popularizer of astrology and witchcraft back in the 70s we have some church of Satan things. Ray, of course, wasn't a big fan of the church of Satan because, you know, with the belief of a horned God of witchcraft, kind of, uh, don't get that excited when people are like, well, that's Satan. And it's like, no, actually, you know, this is long before Satan became a thing, but you know, his best friend was a guy named Ed. Ed joined the church. of Satan gave Ray the membership card. And, uh, it was like, all right, fine. Ed's argument was all the kids are into uh Church of Satan. You should get some stuff in your museum. Uh probably my favorite piece besides the Crescent Moon headdress is our Mandrake root. It's a uh, it's a very large, antique mandrake root. To me this is our closest tie to the real cunning woman at the edge of town. The one that knows the roots and the herbs, right? One that you go see, hey, I have a wart, I need help. You go see them a few months later, I have a farm, I need kids. So, yeah, we're continuing the, machine, uh, the mission of uh, getting new stuff in continually. Recently, we acquired some pieces from, uh, well, we got a stack from the Jaw Lightfoot, one of my favorite contemporary witchcraft authors. And then we uh, got some ritual items from Lilith Dorsey another popular and uh, beloved and we love her very much witchcraft slash voodoo author she's a, a priestess down in new orleans let's see over here i'm looking at a spirit board that was donated by a gentleman named matt Oren, whose book psychic witch is the closest to like a phenomenon that i've seen in like witchcraft books in years people are obsessed with this book and uh i've I gotta say, I found it really refreshing to like pick this one up because I was just, like, um, the trouble with like modern witchcraft books is a lot of them are based to like beginner level. And if you want to, uh, explore things that go into a little more depth, oh, well, this is a great book. So, uh,
1: it's a, what's a sp- spirit board. Is that like another word for Ouija board or?
0: Uh, yeah, Weezy is a trademark.
1: Oh, okay. So if you're not <laughs> Milton Bradley or whoever makes them, you got to make a spirit board.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Talking boards, also another one.
1: Mm. I just read this fantastic book by I'm not going to remember the name now. I'm going to black black on blank on it. It's called um, Bill Ellis. It's called uh, like Raising the Devil, and it's like it's a look at the satanic panic, but it ties it back to like, basically it goes back to like spiritualism. And then beyond that to like Germany in the 1800s where like all these different like esoteric practices and folk magic and stuff were kind of like for the first time being like, like science was talking down on them and like religious people were kind of like incorporating that into their belief system, not like accepting it, but you know, bringing it in and then, you know, talking about spiritualism or talking about folk magic as if it's the work of the devil. Whereas before, I think most religious people just kind of ignored it or, you know, went to take care of that wart, but <laughs> didn't really talk about it otherwise. And, um, What's yeah. The uh, it's called "Raising the Devil." It's by Bill Ellis, who was like a prof- sociology professor at Penn State, I believe, and it's definitely one of the best books on the subject. And it goes into great detail about like altered states and um, like and it, there's like a whole section on the Ouija board or the spirit board. And um, really, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's pretty fascinating because it instead of like where a lot of these kind of satanic panic books begin and end in the seventies or eighties, you know, and like it doesn't take in like the whole swing of like where it comes from, how it comes from religion or how it comes from, you know, religious Christian responses to things that aren't Christian. And it's really what I, what I got out of it was, it was like fear of like satanic evil satanic cults or whatever. It's really like a secularization of evil. It was like, I think in the 1700s, people were walking around and they had no problem imagining a Satan who could just, who was a person almost, who was, had a personality who walked around and screwed with you. But like by the 1900s, people were kind of like getting out of that. Like even though, you know, people just didn't have the same sense of what, evil was so it's like instead of a malevolent being of some sort we actually had to have like human beings doing it you know so it's kind of like yeah yeah so so it was so i just have been very interested in spirit boards lately because it's like you know now you know it's a game it's 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 really strange that it's it's a thing that like, you know, my grandma had one and <laughs> you know, it was just in a box, right. you know, I don't even yep. think I ever used it. I think like everybody always lost the planchette or whatever that's called. Um, yeah. But, you know, we always had like the board around and stuff and, you know, it's pretty interesting to see something like that just kind of become part of everyday life in America where it actually has. It's a uh, Yeah.
0: I gotta say that the pieces here in the collection, that get like, some of the most intense like reactions from our guests is definitely our uh boards and our talking boards that we have here. I hear stories all the time. Um, people's exciting adventures with them. They always want to know if I've had one. I'm like, uh, you know, I played around with them. Nothing quite too exciting. Uh, my wife, Jillian, she had an intense experience with one years and years ago. But uh, I did find that we have a yard sale every year on my street. The whole street becomes kind of like a uh, um, sell your stuff festival, and I always put the Ouija boards up front because people walk by and they start screaming, and you know it just draws more attention to my uh, to my little stand there. <laughs> you know, and I always I always wonder like. Um, how did this become such a such an integral part of just like the average American's life?
1: It's so interesting, though, that you mentioned that, because like, I didn't get a real sense of anything being particularly like demonic about your, your uh, storefront there. But you know, it's like, there's so many interesting things and so many like, cool, kind of creepy looking things or whatever. And it's like, to have the uh, the Ouija board be the thing that really evokes the response. It, I guess it just speaks to its place in American culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something that uh, you don't need a lot of training for. Um, you know, like, I guess, like, comparing that to, like, say, a black mirror that you would uh, stare into, it doesn't take the kind of focus that you need for that. I mean, I will say that uh, we... Just in general, I'm starting to really lack our ability to focus on things. I find it myself. You know, I'm not, I'm not excluding myself from all of this. It's uh, I'm always being distracted. You know, it takes me three hours to do a t- ten minute task. But you know,
1: yeah. I I really notice it if I'm going to sit down and read, and I put the phone far enough away that I can't pick it up without thinking about yeah. it. <laughs> it's like every like ten minutes, I'm like. Where is it? Where is it? It's,
0: uh, <laughs> grasping at this. Like, I mean, I've heard this, I've heard it referred to this lately quite a bit. The doom scroll. uh, the droom that uh, the doom scroll, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just the continual loop of just <laughs> destruction and dismay.
1: And you feel so gross when you're doing it. <laughs> it's just like, Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know you're staring into the abyss right for we've been staring at the abyss pretty pretty in depthly for a year now, and I admit sometimes I'm like, "This is all you got. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we need something even bleaker and uh i mean that's I mean, it's sad, right?
1: How about yourself Are you I must imagine you haven't a- religious alter alternate religious or magical tradition that you subscribe to if you don't mind talking about. Yeah, would be know curious.
0: What? So, you know, I think I started off as an atheist, pretty heavily. I mean, my family, the only times we really went to church when I was a kid is we're like visiting a cousin on Easter. Um, you know, and then uh started really interested in things like ceremonial magic in my late teens, early twenties. Uh, it's kind of like when I was exploring things like, uh, you know, cut cutups and research books and uh, Robert Anton Wilson, that sort of thing. Start reading about Crowley, start reading Kenneth Grant's books. Those are the ones that really got me like in a magical mindset. Uh You know, always an interest in magic, always a uh, kind of a magic, a little more than dabbler. And then uh, once we open this place, I think it's kind of fun because, you know, a lot of people tell me about how they had this Wicca phase when they're like in their 20s and stuff and or their teens, right? And the more I'm around Wicca, the more and more Wicca seems to be the one that really resonates with me. And, you know, I think it, maybe it is because I spend all my days here in the shadow of the great Raymond Buckland. And, uh, you know, one thing I really love about Ray, one thing that I think uh, people forget about him is he kind of really helped with the uh, changing of uh the Wicca practice, where he started he formed his own tradition pretty early on, and it 's the c x Wicca tradition and there's all these cassette tapes of Ray talking about how he started this uh tradition, and he was just so he was working on such a higher level um, with the ability to figure out what he was interested in what he was not interested in the things that he wanted to cut away from it and one the things that you needed to add for it and uh but all still under this uh just general blueprint and uh i think that was so helpful especially here in america for so many other people to kind of uh have the ability to do the same so so i always kind of turn to ray uh as i'm kind of exploring the stuff on my own where am i go ray The stuff doesn't really resonate with me at all, but, uh, you know, I kind of look for him to kind of help me find a way for other things too. So, Mm -hmm.
1: and, and, you know, so much of like ceremonial magic and Wicca and a lot of these things kind of presuppose or actually not presuppose, but actually, you know, claim to be, you know, traditions passed down for millennia, you know, um, you know, I think definitely in in Wicca that, you know, and ceremonial magic, these are more modern things that were... Yeah, like, where what's your kind of understanding of where 20th century Wicca came from? I mean, it all
0: pretty much goes back to Gerald Gardner, who was a seeker. And, uh, you know, Gardner may or may not have believed, I don't know, I never met the man, that he... Uh, he may have believed that he really came from a lineage of initiation going back to the stone age. Do I believe that? I, mean, I think it's a really fascinating article of states. I'm also not a person that would go around doing things like uh, doing DNA tests on a shroud of cor uh, Toran, you know, cause it's just like, uh, where's the mystery in that? Um, so, you know, I think it all kind of, uh, traces its way back to Gerald and some fanciful ideas that he had and the ideas of people that he was around. I always mention this in our intro that uh, he was definitely taking classes from the beast, Aleister Crowley, and uh, lending in some ceremonial magic from Crowley. And uh, some people take offense to that, but I'm like, well, here in our archives, we have the letters between Cecil Williamson who uh, worked with uh, Gardner pretty extensively. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's definitely there.
1: So you haven't gotten any more, like, you said that everybody wants, you said that every once in a while somebody comes in and takes a look at your collection, and you can tell that they're kind of like angry Christians or angry conformists that are like... Yeah. <laughs> like... It, have you gotten anything worse yeah. than that, or is that is it mostly just kind of like like you haven't gotten like threats or anything, or you know? uh, yeah, yeah,
0: you know it's all kind of part of a day's work here, yeah, I get um, you know, I get harassing letters, um I get harassing messages, um just. Just last night, somebody went on one of our things on the YouTube channel and told me about how it going to burn in hell. And I have the alert, you know, but mm-hmm. it looks like uh, maybe somebody on the channel or somebody else reported it and it's been removed already. And I'm like, well, I mean, do we really have to remove that kind of thing? Because it's, uh, I mean, this is
1: part of the deal (laughs) yeah
0: you know it's uh i i don't like hearing it but you know i'm i kind of feel like what we do here is definitely we exist strictly only because of the first amendment Mm -hmm. if somebody wants to say something awful to me on our youtube channel i think it's i mean that's all fair and fair and game right yeah um but i could have I mean, I think I would have preferred to have the option to remove it myself, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I could see it could become... It's like, you don't want to, like, have the corporate o- overlord decide what, what can be communicated on your in your comments. But at the same time, it's like, it could get very overwhelming if you know, people realize they can post oh, yeah. that crap and you know, kind of flock there to troll you a little bit. Or something. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I think, yeah, you know, I think what I'm trying to gauge is like, I don't know even how I would do this, but like, I keep coming back to this thought, like just trying to gauge like what the role is of like alternate religions and magical traditions these days. Um, in American life, as opposed to, you know, 20 or 40 or 60 years ago. And I, and it just seems to me that, like, you have a really unique place where, which is kind of an expression of that, that new religious outlook. I mean, but that's,
0: it's all about giving people an opportunity to be able to look within, you know? Um, And just, let's face it, like, the Christian whole... Christian thing is not for everyone. You know, I meet some very nice Christians that come in here, uh, have wonderful conversations with them, but that's definitely not for me. It's not for a lot of people that come through here. So how do you explore the deeper meanings of life without having that be part of it? Well, there's other ways to do it. I mean there's Wicca, there's uh other forms of witchcraft, there's ceremonial magic, there's druidry, um you know, I, these are all just wonderful options for people. And uh I don't know. Um Psychic T V have a record called Those Who Do Not and I always think about that as a title. And uh I think more apt, I think of is those who say do not, you know, those that go around telling you what not to do. Are they doing it? Yeah. I'd say most of them are, (laughs) you know, it's people that sit there and they tell you the most vile things. And then you realize that that's really a construct of their own psyche. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm very wary to go around with like, popular fringe ideas that are going on these days, but the things that they sit there and scream about this and that, uh, if you're really against something that much that it becomes an obsession, that that's all you think about their reason deeper down. That's why that's, that's all you're thinking about.
1: You know, I've, I think I've mostly as a journalist, I've been spending time like seeking out people I don't agree with there's specifically like people with really bizarre beliefs that I find like damaging. I just find it fascinating. Like I, uh, I, I, I attended a, uh, an exorcism a few years ago with this, like some like radical Catholic offshoot who like believe that like the, yeah, that the, um, that Jesus like, like promoted marijuana use <laughs> because, like, because you know it was like they like misread like literally some word in the Bible that in Hebrew sounds kind of like cannabis. They decided that it literally meant that they smoked cannabis, and um, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, they, I didn't say they had all bad ideas, but um, <laughs> they, they like, came to Pittsburgh and like gave an exorcism did an exorcism and then like hosted like a make america great again rally um oh god <laughs> you know and i like, hung out with them for a couple days and um and it was just like most of those <laughs> you went this? oh my oh gosh my yeah it was N- not my finest moment was afterwards when this i was talking to this like little old lady and she wanted me to help her like carry some stuff back to the car i'm like okay so i was talking to her and i was carrying her stuff and then like car came by and like hit the horn and they're like you son of a bitch and like i was like what why are they then i turned around and looked and i was carrying an all lives matter sign and i was like oh god oh (laughs) jeez not an endorsement (laughs) oh yeah
0: oh man i um
1: but, yeah, I just what I, yeah. I guess what I was getting at is I just these people are more like pathetic than anything, um most yeah. of the
0: time anybody that emails me at four a m you know, yeah, that's it a... that's scary shit, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like don't think about me at four a m
1: <laughs> right
0: four in the afternoon, that's fine, you know, uh-huh, but I don't wanna be keeping anyone up at night, you know, right, it's.
1: Is there like a flourishing uh, Wiccan scene in Cleveland?
0: I I don't know if there's actually a flourishing uh, Wiccan scene, but there's definitely more and more interest in witchcraft every day. And, you know, I wonder if, if, I mean, it's been going on long before the pandemic. I think these days people are always looking for a little extra that'll keep them safe. Um, We have a burgeoning witchcraft scene, but also there's also just the burgeoning scene of people just being interested in just out of the ordinary sort of things, you know, it's uh alternative culture, just breaks and breaks and breaks and breaks over the years. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought Lollapalooza should be the end of it all, you know, and it just keeps going from there. There's a lot of really great witch shops here in Cleveland. There's some great oddity shops. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, everybody's having an opportunity, like, see, uh, you know, like, um, what's that line? Um, I'm thinking of the Jimi Hendrix song where he talks about flying his freak flag. It's like, yeah, you know, it's uh, witchcraft definitely isn't slowing, ta- slowing down anytime soon. I guess that's, uh, that's my thought about it.
1: I mean maybe everybody gets their stuff online but I just remember like going into these like uh, alternative like culture stores or you know places like bookstores and stuff as a kid and it was like that was like the node where you got all your <laughs> the wisdom from outside of the culture
0: nothing can take the place of that stuff it's uh I don't care how great your Whatever Facebook group you go to or, you know, before message boards, nothing can take the uh, place of going to the brick and mortar and just, you know, pulling something off the uh, shelves and having your head explode. I mean, you're uh, you are publishing a book with the great feral house soon, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Adam Parfrey. I mean, that guy took over my brain for a number of years all because I used to go to this place called the O'Leary street bookstore here in Cleveland and between him and Vale over at research, I mean, that was kind of the blueprint from like 1988 to 1994. Um, you know, and these were great times. I'd go down downtown Cleveland before it became this, like how wonderland it is now. And, uh, you know, just some random person would come and uh hand me that flyer for the fugitive pope um with uh, Tony Alamo, you know? And I'd be walking around with Tony Alamo flyers and going by my uh buy my research books and then pick up a feral house, you know, copy of Apocalypse Culture. And uh I mean if if I found that stuff on the internet now, I mean what well, Where's where's the excitement? Where's the uh, initiation? So I feel like the brick and mortar there's always going to be place for that. And my suggestion for people is uh, get ready because via vaccines or be it through unfortunately through herd immunity, eventually this pandemic's going to be over, and people are really going to want to explore things, you know in real life so uh get ready for it because people are going to be ready to experience things like what i have here and uh what everybody else has going on
1: so what year did you open was it 2018 2017 2017. all right and raymond buckland was still around and he attended the opening is that right
0: yeah he was there he said it looked better than it ever did before i You know, every once in a while, we make contact with Ray through the spirit realm. And, uh, you know, he's happy the way that uh, it's always growing, and he likes the way it is now. Um, Am I a fundamentalist in this belief? Mm, No. But do I believe it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice, the spinning, you have no choice.